0: Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. Let me tell you what's going on in the political front and really on the media front, I think in some ways in particular, because media really, quote, explains what's going on in the political front, which explains why there's so much acrimony and confusion, in my opinion. And uh, there's so few people in the industry that I think do their job honestly and clearly and and uh, by Younger Sargon, she's one of the best, in my opinion. I, I love talking to her. I love her take on what's going on and the uh, uh, really the war of ideas that is happening, uh, the elitism that has taken over the media that's so disconnected uh, from the people that they serve. She's an editor, uh, opinion editor, deputy opinion editor at Newsweek magazine. An author of a fabulous book that I think everyone should read if they think uh, if they want to take media seriously and what's going on with our country when it comes to that. And I'm going to get Baya, who uh, again you can learn more about her both at Newsweek.com, but also at, at uh, uh, by checking out her book, Baya your- Welcome to the program. Real quickly, a little bit about the book and how people can get it before we get into our topic today, which I think is really timely.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, the book is called "Bad News: How woke media is undermining democracy." It's available at Amazon, and it's basically about you know the phenomenon of fake news. You know why Americans have lost faith and trust in their news media organizations. And I argue that it actually has a lot more to do with class than it does with politics that, you know, journalism used to be a working class trade where journalists were kind of average Americans. And so they represented average Americans. And today, to become a journalist, you really have to sort of come from the elites, either come from money or go to a very elite university. And so because they're part of the elites now, they really speak more for the elites than they do for the average American. And that's why our news is so terrible.
0: It's it's absolutely horrific how they report stories, even the stories they choose to report, uh, their misunderstanding of uh, what mass migration into the U.S. by illegals looks like to average Americans, uh, because they have this perspective of we'll never have to deal with them. Uh, I mean, it's insane. And, you know, I think they, they, they use – I think the elite media uses um, – really minority-driven politics, if you will, um, you know, ethnic-driven politics and minority-driven politics as cover for a more elite agenda. And I know that sounds conspiratorial, but it, it's really a strange kind of wrapping that they use to uh, explain things. Because otherwise, if you look at it from a consequential perspective of what they're arguing, it's like this doesn't help average Americans.
1: I think you put that so well. The way that I usually say it is wokeness is a smoke screen for class. The rich white progressives yeah. love to talk about race and gender because it distracts from the real conversations we should be having about how the only Americans who can make it anymore are the ones with a college degree increasingly from an elite university and if you're just a regular person whose job involves actually doing things that matter, like maybe you're a truck driver, maybe you are a lineman, maybe you're a nurse's aide, you know, these jobs that really society can't exist without. But if you don't have an elite college degree, forget it. Your point of view is not represented in the media, and it's a real travesty.
0: Yeah, and so here we go again. We're beating up on the Democrats, but the reality, what's fun (laughs) about you What's fun about you and me, I think, and why I always get a kick whenever you're on, is that we really have huge problems with both sides. Um, You know, some of the problems with the Democrats is that you expect something better, Uh, you you know, by the way they they present themselves, and certainly from a history perspective. Uh, But the reality is, and so we kind of have, it's easier to, in some ways to beat up on them. But the Republicans, you know, both parties are in the... uh, investigation business rather than in the policy-making business. And uh, and there's a plethora of issues. They they rarely come up with any. I think the CHIP Act, was a rare example of where both parties could go, oh, yeah, we better do something about this. It's like, yeah, thanks, Captain Obvious, and, and they did do that. But There's <laughs> a lot of other policies that, that uh, really would benefit both sides, but they're so acrimony-driven, they'd rather talk about personalities and policies, and we all suffer as a result.
1: I could not agree with you more. Um, You know, it's very clear what Americans' top priorities are right now, what their top concerns are. It's, you know, inflation in the economy, crime, and immigration. And they give Republicans top marks on all of those issues. On all of those issues, they say, yes, Republicans are better at that than Democrats. But you look at the midterms, and they just did not give Republicans an overwhelming majority like everybody expected, the red wave, the red wave, right? Everyone was telling us there's going to be this red tsunami. And it never materialized. You know, the, the Republicans won the House by a very tiny margin. And, and it looks like the Democrat. I mean, the Democrats have kept the Senate and, you know, we'll see what happens in Georgia. So why not? Why, if Americans' top concerns are all things that they think Republicans are better on than Democrats, did they not give them a mandate to rule? And I think the answer is exactly what you just said. It's like they don't believe that they actually have policies that are going to help them. Most Americans feel like neither party represents them, like neither party is out there looking for solutions to actually improve their lives and to, to stop, you know, to put an end to the things that are actually really harming the American family. There's just neither side that's representing that. There's deep acrimony between both. And when given the chance to actually p- propose solutions, both parties would rather just, you know, engage in these kind of revenge investigations and deplatforming of their, of their opponents. It's really, really sad.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and there, you know, and, and I, I have to say, I think the quality of the candidates that Trump ended up endorsing did nothing to help either. Uh, you know, I, I sit and I look at, you know, I sit and I look at the GOP, and they're like, oh, you know, maybe we ought to distance ourselves from Trump. And I'm like, going, really? It took electoral loss to figure that one out. You know, uh, the corruption. Wait, the, so let uh, me let me ask you, know, you this the, about
1: that. So let me ask you this about that. So the Democrats, I think we even talked about this, they funded a lot of those far-right Trump MAGA candidates in the primaries under the view that that would help them in the general elections. Right. And that's exactly, I remember we talked, I think we talked about it. We were talking about how immoral it was to say on the one hand, you're you're on the side of democracy and the other side represents the threat to democracy. And then to literally fund the candidate who represents the threat to democracy. Right. But then it did end up paying off. It did end up working. So where do you stand on that now? Well, I, 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 (laughs)
0: <laughs> I'm stuttering so that's not good um, I struggle with that I struggle with that so I'm, I'm thinking how would a, a Democrat operative think not a right. Democrat rank and file but an operative how would he morally justify mm-hmm. this because they're the ones who, who would uh, be behind it I think their view is any Democrat is better than any Republican and so if it guarantees a Democrat to win to do this then yeah, by all means, let's do that. I guarantee it's going to be mm-hmm. a new trend as long as, as, long as uh, Trump hangs around in the rafters of uh, Republican politics, which i got a feeling he's going to be escorted out pretty quickly, I think.
1: Yeah, it definitely does seem that way, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you know he, he's talking about Grover Cleveland, but I think he's going to be more like Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, you know, and, and uh, they're going to figure out how to coalesce around the Republicans are going to coalesce around someone other than Trump. Trump's going to get mad and take his marbles and run as a third party candidate, similar to Theodore Roosevelt. And you know how that panned out in the end. But I think that's the cleaning process that's required to get Trump out of their system entirely. Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. so, so it sounds he like he brings a huge number of voters. What's that? Yeah. I said it sounds like you're looking forward to that.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I, Trump did good, did good things policy-wise. There's no question about it. And I don't know any really any president in the modern era, oddly that he'd be a billionaire, that could talk about average American issues better than him. You know, and I, 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 it's, it's shocking, but I see these press conferences. You know, he had one with minorities. It was four minorities, but he didn't talk about minorities. He talked about average Americans, which included minorities. And it resonated so much. And people for the first time ever who have always been employees were starting their own business because of the environment business-wise he was making. So I get that. But, you know, I put a lot of stock also in E. Pluribus Unum, among many one. And that took a mm-hmm. huge beating under under uh, the Trump administration. And I just hate, I hate, hate, I guess you could say, and not in a woke sort of way. I just want people to treat people with civility, particularly those who are leaders. You start ostracizing groups, marginalizing groups, and this permission to do that, which I think has fueled a lot of the anti-Semitism we're seeing. I think that's very problematic.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting to me that somebody – could have Trump's legislative legacy, which, like you say, was, like, enormous, right, what it did for average Americans. But then it was almost like he couldn't recognize how important it was and then descended into all of the stuff that, you know, really, for me anyway, besmirched that legacy. And and, and I, I think it's a sort of a double-edged sword. Like, why is it that you needed somebody with that kind of personality flaws to, to speak up on behalf of average Americans in a way that they could recognize, it's, it's really, I think, one of the most important questions in American politics today.
0: Well, I think your book nails it, to be perfectly honest with you. People got tired of having their, the elite media wagging their finger at them over how they're supposed to behave. You can't talk that yeah. way. You can't act that way. That gets old. You know, we're not talking kids. We're talking adults that they would do that too, and they did it all the time. Now, the behavior is atrocious, but instead of turning it around, it fueled that behavior, uh, leading to a guy like Donald Trump running and successfully running for President of the United States. That was a, a lot of revenge. That was like nanny revenge. Donald Trump was nanny revenge.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that's a really, really smart way to put it.
0: Yeah, that would be a great second book, uh, or ne- not second book, next book for you. That would be a great next book for you. <laughs> <laughs> I see the title, Trump was Mandy Revenge. <laughs> that'll, get a, that'll get a conversation going. that to get a conversation going because people will go, well, Absolutely. is this about a short cocaine or is this something Yeah. <laughs> yeah Absolutely. but I think, I, I think trump was the logical evolution of a society being browbeaten by the media for decades
1: yeah yeah and, definitely. So, and,
0: and yet they still don't know i mean they still don't learn anything they still do the exact same type of behavior i don't i don't i they seem incorrigible to me
1: well so here's another interesting point um you know, this whole thing with um, um, Sam Bankman-Fried, the whole FX implosion, mm-hmm. right? So it came yes. out that he was funding, he had given millions and millions of dollars to a lot of these liberal media outlets. And as a well, some are saying that's why nobody saw this coming. That's why he's been, the media coverage of him has been soft-pedaled, even since everything was revealed that he had done, if you look at the New York Times' profile of him, after everything was revealed, it was so light-handed. It was so even-toned. It was so giving him the benefit of the doubt, etc. So a lot of people have seen in that sort of proof that you're kind of like buying off um, the, the, the you know, he, he had bought off the media, right? But I think that it the truth is a little bit less conspiratorial because, you know, if someone who works in a newsroom, you know, even when you get a big donation, your boss doesn't come to you and say, look, now we need to cover this person in this way. It just doesn't really happen that way. I think the truth is a lot more insidious, actually. Exactly. It's that there's class solidarity between journalists Democratic politicians, and billionaires, former billionaires like Sam Bankman-Fried, you know, because they are all part of the elites, and they're representing their own class interests when they soft-pedal that coverage, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, that makes (laughs) actually a lot of sense. I heard, heard a speaker once, uh, Steve Chandler, that's his name, and he was talking about how most of us never leave high school. Uh, we behave the same way. We have the same insecurities. We carry them well into adulthood, and uh, you know. And so, what ends up happening is that almost, almost high school is kind of camaraderie. Oh, he's one of ours. Us. He's progressive. Look how he thinks. You know. Ends up driving uh, a lot of uh, a lot of these relationships and a lot of the coverage and it's interesting how you know you can have people that can be they, they can go pretty far in unacceptable behavior before they uh, they go out after them simply because they're one of the guys one of the gals one of the people we can uh, we can relate to it's very selective of who they go after
1: 100% Yeah yep. so
0: we didn't talk at all about our topic today <laughs> But <laughs> yeah. this is a very meaningful conversation. I, I really enjoyed it. Our topic today was, uh, you know, the Republicans are now going to go into uh, lynch mob mode uh, against uh, the Democrats in the way we've seen from the Democrats where a lot of spinning wheels took place. And, you know, like the January 6th Committee, I, I had no problem with the idea of a January 6th Committee. I had a problem of them shutting out the GOP representatives that they want. That's how a legitimate country has a committee. They chose a banana republic approach. Uh, and I think we're going to see a lot of that in the, uh, in the Republican approach, because instead of going back to a moral high ground, which I don't know if they're ever excessive. It had been. It's a long time ago. They'll just continue to mount these acrimonious approaches that don't really produce much. So we didn't get to go there, but I'd love to get your final thoughts about that.
1: Yeah, I just think it's so disappointing. I mean, the Republicans are clearly in full-on revenge mode. I think that, like, the problem that the Democrats have with China is so much bigger than Joe Biden's fail-son crack addict, you know? Like, it's it's just, like, the problem is that they're soft on China from an economic and trade point of view, and they're soft on China from a foreign policy point of view. Another thing, by the way, that Trump was very good on. So to pin this on, to say the Democrats' problem with China is, like, Joe Biden's, you know... Crack addict son and some payments that, like, I just think that that's a huge distraction. It's a huge distraction from the actual problem with China, but even more than that, it's a huge distraction from what the American people are crying out for, which is help on inflation, help on the price of gas, and help on crime and immigration. And instead of doing the hard work of legislating, they're out here with their, like, revenge hearings and, like, you know, I'm not. You know, th- there's a time and place for everything. There's definitely a time and place for looking into the corruption of the Biden family. Like, I'm not opposed to that. You know, like philosophically, I just think that it's like they. You know, this is why. Them, this is why you did not see a red wave because they did not trust the Republicans when they got into office to actually represent them. Instead, they're busy owning the libs. And like, I just think that's it's so disappointing, but also not shocking at all. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that that was well put. All right, Bayangar Sargon, always love having you on. I am now officially looking forward to your next visit because I can tell this is wrapping up. We went way over. I always go over with you simply because it's so much fun. Thanks so much for being with me.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. Have a great Thanksgiving, and I'll talk to you next month.
0: You bet. I'm Kevin Price. This is the Price of Business. Stay tuned for more.